Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to episode 52, Matter of Opinion, I got my tea with me. I got my notes. I got my speaker. I got my pal. I'm ready to go for another episode of Matter of Opinion. But first off, before before we start talking about sports, a little check-in, a little check-in. What's, uh, what's going on with you, Barnsley? What's new and exciting? Well, uh, you know, just uh, as of last night, you know, Saturday night, I'm uh, now a poker professional. You know, won the uh, the Barnsley House. Uh, I don't know. Let's call it semi annual tournament. Um, drank for the first time since probably the last day I was uh, in Ontario with the boys. Um, it's eight oh four p.m. right now. The day after, I still have a headache. <laughs> so that's that's kind of where we're at um but yeah no you know we're uh we're recording we're moving forwards and uh just you know thriving yeah no i i did myself get a get a little in trouble last night too um was with uh, our good friends big supporters of the podcast carson and trent and yeah I, i'm with you i I don't have the headache. It's more the the gut. My stomach is a little upset, but you know, the fact that we're both 20 somethings and we have hangovers and this is, you know, it shouldn't really be happening at this point, but I must ask, did you have your biosteel shake before you went to sleep or no? See, that was, that was where I, my yeah, fatal yeah. flaw. So like you've seen me since freshman year, like for three years, I was indestructible the day after drinking. Like I could get up and like You're fine. do whatever You're really, I wanted. It yeah. was perfectly fine functioning human being. In the last year, I've come to discover that if I have three drinks, the next day I'm out of commission. Like no matter what I do, except if I have my electrolytes before I go to bed. And last night I, the game finished. I was tired. I just came upstairs and went straight to bed. And I woke up this morning and immediately knew that I had significantly screwed up. Like when I say that the bio steel shake, it's, you know, why we'd all come home from the bar. We'd all just kind of hang out in our living room, watch TV for half an hour, whatever. The first thing you would do, no matter what, even before you broke the steel and had to go to the bathroom, you would go get your bio steel shake and just crush it. Right. And that was your go-to. You swore by it. It worked. I must say I added into the, uh, the regimen too. So it's, but I mean, you clearly knew, you clearly knew once you stepped away from it, it, it impacted greatly. And, and here yeah. we are. No, I mean, the, the way that it works the best for anybody out there who's looking to, you know, avoid a hangover or at least diminish the, the effects is you got to drink at least half a liter of water, a scoop, scoop and a half of electrolytes, whether it's BioSteel, Noon, whatever you're, you're going with. And basically that has to be the last thing you consume before you go to bed. And the first thing you consume in the morning and you will feel incredible and so, 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 so much better than you would had you not done it. It, who knows, it might save your life. <laughs> this is a big, some big claims, <laughs> but uh, I definitely agree with you in that. It does make the second day substantially better, but I mean, enough, enough, uh, you know, recovery talk. Let's let's get into the the world of sports. I mean, another great week. We got UFC discussions. We have a Stanley Cup champion. <laughs> the MLB pitching system is going to shit now. 
because of the whole uh, uh, sticky tack, the spider tack. Um, but let's let's kind of talk about UFC. Um, I'm not you're not going to like my opinion on on how that whole fight ended up, and you know the reports and where things are coming out now. But going into that fight, you know, being a Super McGregor fan, you are. Did you have an expectation for him to push the distance to win the fight? What was really your headset going into last Saturday night? So I kind of like I love McGregor. And so does Phil. Um, and I mean, we've been, me and Phil have been talking about the aftermath and everything. And we were talking about the lead up and how we were both feeling. And like, I was, I was hard on Poirier. I, I really did think that he had it up until we saw the pressers and the weigh in. And at that point, I kind of was like, you know what? Connor's looking vintage. The trash talk is in vintage form. You know, he's up to his old antics. Uh, something that we didn't see in the last fight. And I genuinely thought that he, he might take this. Um, so at that point I was 50, 50. I mean, the whole time, uh, the bets that I said we're going to make was if you wanted value, take the underdog, the underdog was Connor, um, and go under two and a half rounds. Obviously the fight was going to be over quick. Um, I thought he had a legitimate chance. Um, a lot of people are saying that. I mean, just the the way that fight went, um, there's nothing that can really be said. I mean, there's a lot of people saying he looked horrible. I didn't really see that. I thought he looked pretty good. He did get, he lost the round. um, But I mean, that's, that's about the toughest way that you can lose a fight. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I was Poirier all the way until I did see that picture, the weigh-ins, like you'd said, uh, when I saw that he looked gr- He looked really good. And I was like, well, I mean, it is Conor McGregor. You can't, you can't doubt him, but I still stuck with, uh, my Poirier mindset and small wager on him. Didn't, didn't come out big, but I mean, just a little baby bet. Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, Poirier wins again, and it looks like there's going to be a fourth round between the two matches, between the two fighters, excuse me. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's to my, in my eyes, it's clearly seen that Poirier is the better fighter right now. And until McGregor puts Poirier on his ass, I don't really see that changing, but I mean, if we're getting round four, that's going to be exciting. But, uh, what do you, what do you think McGregor needs to do going forward to uh, prevent the losing streak from continuing? Well, I mean, first of all, he has to recover. Like, we don't know if that's going to happen for, I think, a lot of people that's a career-ending injury. Um, fucking snapping your leg in half. Um, but honestly, if he was going to lose, and this is going to sound really ridiculous of me to say, that's the best way he could have lost. In the sense that he didn't really lose the fight. Um, the way it ended has left Poirier wanting another fight, McGregor wanting another fight, Dana White wanting another fight, fans wanting another fight. Dustin winning that fight sets him up to have a title shot. If he somehow beats Charles Oliveira, which I never, never in a million years do I think is going to happen. But if he somehow does it and McGregor can recover within the next 16 months, McGregor's next fight is going to be a title fight coming off two losses. Okay. That's it. So you'll have to explain this to me because you'll, you'll know the finer details of um, 
the fighting in UFC and how it works. But in my eyes, it's more of just a general comment, but why should McGregor earn that title fight after he's lost cons- consecutively, right? De- just, just thinking out loud, shouldn't there be someone who's, you know, on the pace to, to fight for that title fight that's ahead of McGregor, you know, putting, putting his fame and, and who he is aside. Is there, is there someone that, you know, technically would be more ready for that fight or no? There's like five guys that are more ready for that fight, but it doesn't matter. I mean, when it comes down to it at the end of the day, it's a business. And if you have a Poirier McGregor four, that's for a world championship, that's going to be the best selling fight of all time. Like, without a doubt in my mind, unless they somehow put together John Jones against Francis Ngannou. Like, that'll, that's going to sell. I, I have no problem saying that probably gets 5 million pay-per-view buys, which I think would absolutely shatter the world record. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it's just something interesting because I see, you know, McGregor fighting and all this time and someone who's like a very novice UFC fan like myself. So it's just, I'm thinking, you know, does McGregor... Cons- deserve these fights but end of the day like you said it's a business i mean dana white's been very intelligent man and he knows that those two guys fighting for another fourth time will make so much money so um yeah i mean we'll see it again it'll be exciting we're gonna watch that but what well one thing that has changed a little bit with my stance on mcgregor is the comments that poirier is saying with in terms of the uh the in-game trash talk i don't know about you but i mean th- there's a level of of trash talking within the sport and whatever but the stuff that we're hearing that Poirier is saying from uh, McGregor's camp and what McGregor was saying during the fight is I don't know to me it's it's a little too much it's a little offside but what uh what are your thoughts on what he's uh he said so like coming from a team sport background like obviously if like if you cross the line you're going to pay for it combat sports are a little bit different in the sense that I don't really take anything that anybody says at any point with a grain of salt. Like it's, it's part of the promotion and it's part of the buildup. And I mean, realistically half the time, the guys that are speaking each other and saying shit about their families and their wives and their sisters or whatever, like they don't actually hate each other and there's not actually a rivalry at all. So I mean, I'm going to let most of it go. Like, honestly, most of the time, anything that comes out of McGregor's mouth gives me a good chuckle. Like the fact that he's sitting there in his legs in two pieces and he's chirping, like he's still calling out Poirier and saying that his wife slid into his DMs. Like, I thought that was hilarious. Like, just imagine how much pain that guy's in. And he's still chirping this guy. Like, I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm I I personally have a little more tougher time with it. That is funny. I mean, the the pain that we're shooting through all the, the adrenaline adrenaline, excuse me, that you'd have from from breaking your leg and whatever it may be, but yeah, I mean, hear, hearing this stuff from just like, oh, man, like that's to me that's too far, but it definitely adds more entertainment value and whatever, but let's uh let's kind of transition, talk a little NHL uh, Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, back-to-back. Dismantled the Habs in five games. A gentleman's sweep. Um, what were your thoughts on, on all five games, and was it a surprise at all to you? Yeah, well, once again, I have been proven that I know nothing about hockey. Um, 
Like Montreal just looked fucking horrible. Like they looked like a novice team. Like it, I I don't know if you can somehow downgrade that series to like a semifinal and promote the Islanders series and just say that the uh, Tampa beat the Islanders in the finals or something like, like that was, it it was such an overpowering series. Like, and I think Price's numbers look a lot worse than they actually were. I think he played better than it looks on paper. And the team in front of him gave him like no shot to do anything. Um, I think what nobody was talking about enough was the power play goal that Tampa scored at the end of the first game. I think that held a lot of weight. Which, which one was that? It was the, it was the fourth or fifth goal of the game. Okay. But Tampa scoring against Montreal's PK, even though it was the fourth or fifth goal in a five, one final, I think that rattled the shit out of the Canadians. Yeah, I mean, at that point, they were, I think, running between like a, a 93 to 96% PK percentage. Well, it was like 33 straight kills. Like, it was like 14 games. Yeah, some, something stupid. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. I feel like we actually saw who the Montreal Canadiens are. I mean, that that little honeymoon phase where they were, I would say it's more than a phase, a little honeymoon period, right, where they were, you know, making light work of Winnipeg. Put it, putting up a, a great challenge and beating the Vegas Golden Knights and the Leafs. But, I mean, at the very beginning of the playoffs, I highly doubted the Habs. They they did uh, prove me wrong several times. But, I mean, we, we saw the holes that the Habs have. And in my eyes, I think this team would be lucky to make the playoffs next year. Um, I don't I, – I look at the team and I see too many big issues. And you can't rely on Carey Price to play that well again for – a season or a peer or a playoff uh, performance. So, I mean, going forward, I'm not too impressed with, with what the Habs will do, but relating it back to the, uh, the playoff series, just the lightning were better in every, just every specific part of the game, right? Whether it's scoring depth, whether it's defensive play goalies, Vasilevsky outplayed price. And I mean, we, we saw it early. They were willing to beat them in different ways and Montreal really didn't have an answer for that. So. So like here's what I'm going to say. I think that Montreal team is very similar to the Florida Panthers team that went to the finals in 98, 97, I think, in the sense that both of them were like analytical darlings. In the set, like if you looked at them on paper, if you looked at the advanced metrics, you thought, holy shit, this team is incredible. And then that Florida team met Colorado in the finals and got absolutely dismantled. Same thing here. It's just, it, it's, I don't like analytics. And once again, I think this proves that you can look at any stats that you want. And ultimately it's the players that are going to win. It's not, it's not the stats. It's not what you can type into a computer. Like it, it's Moneyball all over again. Like you can do whatever you want. You're not going to cheat the system. Um, as for how good the Canadians are, I still think they're better than the Maple Leafs. Like, I still think they're a better overall team. Um, and going forwards, I still think they're going to be a playoff team. Um, 
And as for like Canadian hockey as a whole, they Canada was due a, a Stanley Cup finalist at some point, had the chance, and we probably won't see one for another five years. Yeah, no, that's I agree with you. That's the kind of the sad part is I don't see the you know the Leafs leading looking at like the best option. Well, like this is I'm gonna be biased. I think the Canucks probably have the best shot at being yeah. the next team. Yeah, I don't know. It's it was an interesting year with all the COVID and pretty much just a wash for the the organization for that 2020 season. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, the the schedule obviously is going to change where they're playing their their normal opponents and. Well, yeah, plus they've, I mean, that whole division with them, Calgary, and Edmonton has the benefit of playing Seattle, who you would think is going to be a weaker team this year. I think year. Calgary looks like... Oh, Calgary's a dumpster fire, yeah. man. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, they're, no one, like, it's shit show over there. But yeah, no, back to Montreal. I mean, I, I'm i just not big on them. I mean, the, the analytic point is, is interesting. I didn't know they were ranking that high in terms of their performance in my eyes it was the the big you know bruising defense four that were that the like analysts were just saying like oh this is a, such a great core and you know this is going to be the difference and what the have success i mean totally right in that sense but i mean tampa's speed and mobility was just able to get around the decor and then you know through that exposed price but it's, you know, cheers, cheers to the Habs for going all the way to, to game five with the, with the Stanley Cup final and, you know, surprising a lot of people, you know, not you and that you, you said that they were going to beat the the Leafs, but I mean, for me and definitely a lot of the Toronto market, it's a complete shock that the Habs went that far, but no, good for them. Good for them. Um, speaking of another shock and going far, um, Italy finally halted the refs and UEFA's attempt to bring the trophy home to England. And I could not be happier. You know, there's a lot of teams I hate. Um, The Yankees, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, the Golden State Warriors, and England. I hate England with a burning passion. Um, Part of it is their fans. A lot of it is just their team, and I, I do not, I do not care for them. And the fact that they beat Denmark on what I believe is one of the worst penalty calls that I have ever seen as a soccer fan, and believe me, I have seen a lot of terrible calls. And the fact that they had a chance to go back and review the call and still felt that that was the correct call was bonkers. But let me tell you, the joy that I had seeing Gianluigi Donnarumma stop the fifth and final penalty kick. That is fucking good, man. From Sokka. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That guy is good. It was incredible. And rightfully so, he won player of the tournament. I mean, he went through two shootouts and was incredible. Um, But one thing I want to touch on is... I think one of the first things I did just knowing the culture around English football after they lost was go and check on the Instagram account of Saka, the player who missed the kick. Yeah. Oh my God, man. 
Like it was bad. I could imagine. It's it's horrible. Like it's so racist and so toxic. And like me and my brother were like, like he has no choice. Like he's gonna have to deactivate everything. Like this guy might like he might not be able to go home. Like the the fact that like to this day, like people still do that. Like this is why social media is so stupid, man. Like people can just hide behind their keyboard and say like the most ridiculous and terrible, terrible things. And like completely take away from the incredible achievement that it is to get to a European championship final and to be at that stage where you're one kick away from winning it and just like tear everything down and just paint such a bad picture of themselves. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. Plus, like, are we going to ignore the fact that the two other guys before him missed as well? Exactly. And, like, and the fact that England was absolutely outplayed that entire game. And oh, dude, I the loved- possession numbers were like 65-35. Like, it, how do you expect to win a game like that? And like, it came down to Southgate came out and he was like, yeah, you know what? I probably shouldn't have a 19-year-old taking the last kick in a European final. Like, damn right, dude. That, like, that doesn't what are take you a doing putting a out. 19-year-old out there to kick, like, the most crucial kick? Like, that's ridiculous. Um, there's so many, like, formation changes and player substitutions and deployments that were questioned throughout the whole tournament. Like the fact that it comes down on one guy is so unfair and so undeserving. I mean, the guy is 19 years old. He's playing for England. Like he's going to be an incredible talent for years to come. Like you can't do this to get to a guy like that. Like that can, that can completely ruin someone. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous in the sense that, you know, they see him as the final option right? Because he took the last shot. So theoretically in their eyes, right? He screwed it up and it was all his fault. But I mean, that's totally ridiculous. Cause yeah, you watch that game for five minutes and then that's exactly how the whole game was, right? Italy dominated. They dictated the play, right? England was on their heels the entire time. They had a couple chances throughout. I mean, they scored their first goal in the second minute. So, so that's a little bit interesting, but I mean, Shots on goal, I think Italy had, yeah, Italy had six shots on goal, 20 attempts. England had one shot on goal, ultimately their only goal, and then six attempts. Um, but still, that's, uh, I mean, the right team won of that game. Italy deserved to win the the Euro Cup if if that was the final, and then it was. So another two other points I wanted to bring up. Um, Raheem Sterling, right, known as a player that uh, plays on the big stage, can score. What was your thought in that he wasn't even chosen to shoot one of the five penalty kicks? So first of all, I'm not going to use the words that I normally use to describe Johnny Goudreau, but you know how I feel about Johnny Goudreau. Yeah, you're not a fan. That's how I feel about Raheem Sterling. Wow, why is that? Why is that? He's the same guy. Like They play the exact same way. (laughs) And they just complain about everything. Um, damn right. He shouldn't have shot. (laughs) I mean, so here's the thing that like, I, that casuals and people like not super familiar with soccer will question. And it's absolutely me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 
most people would be like, well, why aren't you choosing your forwards? Like your goal scorers to go and shoot in a shootout. And it's generally the fact that those guys aren't really comfortable shooting from there. Like those guys. And, and that sounds weird, but those guys are used to shooting like on the run. They're not used to being stationary. They're not used to Exactly. And they're not the most comfortable there. Those typically aren't your set piece takers either. Like, um, so, and a penalty shootout is where you want power. I, I will say this over and over and over again. You should take a penalty shot with power. You should not finesse a shot. If you take it and try to put some curl on it, try to, you know, specifically place it. If a goalie touches it, it's not going in. If you put any power on the shot and you put it outside the goalie's frame of where he's originally standing, if he touches it, it's still probably going in the net. So like I, I enjoy seeing center backs. I think every center back should take a penalty kick when it goes to a shootout. Um, so I, I had absolutely no problem with Sterling not shooting. I, I didn't really expect him to shoot either. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's just that was one of my first response was, you know, why wasn't he shooting? Because my knowledge is he's a goal scorer and that's a goal scorer situation, but makes sense. Um, I thought the officiating was pretty good. I mean, like, like I've made it very clear, I don't know soccer. But one thing in particular that I thought was very interesting, I'm going to butcher this name, but the the captain of the Italian team, the uh, number three, what's it? Do you know the guy? Yeah. Okay. That that. Pull down, right? I think it was on Saka. I'm not, I'm not 100 sure, but in my eyes, how is that not a red card? He was so basically the, a red card has to be you're seriously putting somebody in danger, or you're taking away a clear and obvious scoring opportunity. And it wasn't either. No, like, you could you could argue that maybe like he's putting him in danger by grabbing his jersey, um, but essentially. A jersey tug is an automatic yellow card. It doesn't really matter how severe it is. That's just how it's going to be. And it's kind of the same thing with like that play. If you're looking at a penalty shot in hockey, like the break has to be clear. He has to f- completely have the defender beat, have possession of the puck. He didn't completely have him beat. And that's that's kind of how it's going to go down to that. I, I didn't really have a question, with, have a problem with it being yellow i never really considered it being a red i can definitely like now looking at it i i can understand how it, it could be looked at that way but i i didn't really see a, i didn't have an objection to the call yeah because i i was watching it live and i just thought like instantly just because seeing the other calls being made some of the other yellows and i'm like the degree in which i thought that was a yellow in terms of previous incidents to the uh what Cellini teardown um, Chiellini, the, yeah. Chiellini, awesome. Stay hot. Um, but yeah, I mean, the clear motion was to get him to the ground and he saw the jersey as an opportunity to do so. So, I mean, yeah, if, if obviously you don't think it's too bad. Ultimately, I mean, you, you wouldn't want to see a game like that too, a toss a guy, right? For that for that level of um, incident, especially where too, that he was on the field, right? Like you said, it wasn't a clear goal scoring opportunity. So, you know, take a red out, taking a red card on a player, forcing him out of the game. I mean, I saw it happen to the Dutch. So even, even putting a little, you know, a small bet on England, seeing that I wouldn't want to see a captain of that nature and, and his historic um, accomplishments be taken out, taken out of a game. But I mean, the right team won. So end of the day, what can you do? 
Um, but yeah, that's uh, Euro Cup's done. No more watching games at three o'clock Eastern time, which were so cool. I was loving that. Um, and then, yeah, just wait to the World Cup, which is, I believe, next Christmas-ish season. Yeah, right? which is weird, but, you know, it's, uh, Qatar's like 50 degrees, so <laughs> they had to wait until it's not going to potentially kill people. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's the next time I'm going to be watching soccer, po- possibly the um, the Olympics, but we'll see about that. Um, but, man, uh What's been entertaining to watch too is this Phoenix Suns tear. They're now up two one in the series against the Milwaukee Bucks. They did just get they did get by... pumped tonight. <laughs> they lost by twenty. Um, I I haven't been watching that game as closely as I did with um, with when the Suns played the Lakers. But what's been consistent there was Chris Paul's ability to just say I'm winning the uh, the finals this year, and you know Booker Ayton. Uh, get on my shoulders because we're going to do this. Um, it, growing up, being a Chris Paul, you know, Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade are my two favorite players. Seeing Paul have this success and this opportunity too, right? Being a player that's plagued as a non-performer when it comes to the playoffs his entire career and seeing him succeed is always nice to do. But I mean, Bucks are only down one game. And if they can win another game at home, is it at home? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So if they, you know, Another game at home, especially with the uh, Milwaukee, they have full capacity, I think, or no? Do you know? Have you been watching that? Uh, I'm, I would assume they probably are. They are in America. So. Yeah. So, yeah, full capacity at home. Um, Antetokounmpo is doing everything he can to, to win. Um, Middleton is doing a good job of being average and, you know, being, oh, I, I'm not a huge Chris Middleton fan. But, anyways, it's, um, you know, exciting now that hockey's done too. We can both have more time and and watch a little more basketball while we still have it. But what's uh, what's kind of your opinion on that? So, like, I am hard on the Suns. The Suns are going to win in six games. Like, I'm pretty confident. I'm not really coming off of that. I'm going to give you a bit of a. It, it might be a hot take. Um, I think DeAndre Ayton is one of the best centers in the NBA. Like, I'd go top five. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I um like I remember watching him in Arizona. Yeah, dude, he's so and good. I man, I I've kind of ripped this guy apart through his rookie season with I mean, you saw stuff about his work ethic and the fact that he just didn't really look like he wanted to to make that jump, especially being a number one overall pick. And you take a big man number one, I mean, you're you're expecting big things from him, but like, first of all, this season, he shot like 65% from the field. And now, I mean, the guys essentially, I think he's almost averaging a double-double through the playoffs. And he just looks unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, if you, yeah, looking back at uh, his NCAA, NCAA days at Arizona, he, he was, he was a animal right arizona yeah arizona not arizona state Um, well he looks like he's about 30 years old and that's how he looked in college (laughs) like he looked like he was a 30 year old Um, man playing against children no he he is just so good and then i think i think with the help of chris paul changing the culture a bit and 100 i believe um monty williams the the head coach is also 
you know, very respected within the basketball community and an incredibly knowledgeable guy. So I think he, you know, once he got more time with Aiden and kind of figuring it out and how to use him in the best possible way. And, you know, Chris Paul, who a lot of guys are saying him in, um, Rajon Rondo are going to be the two, you know, next players turn coaches kind of thing, just, just based off of how high the basketball IQ is. But I mean, adding Chris Paul to your team is awesome. And he's going to change the culture and whatever, despite, you know, a lot of his former players saying he's not, he's not a great teammate. Um, in my eyes, like it's, yeah, like you sons and six, let's go. I'll just go five to be different. Um, and be creative, but yeah, I mean, especially with those Valley jerseys. Oh man, it's uh go sons. We know how you love your basketball jerseys. I love them. Oh, but uh, man, so I mean, no, no disrespect to to D Book, him and Wade, or him and uh, Chris Paul are an incredible duo. But just watching this, I think it leaves almost every NBA fan to think what could have been had they not Kai Bosch, yeah, the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers, prime Paul. And, and still, prime Kobe. Yeah, still elite Kobe. And then who knows how Dwight would have met, uh, meshed in with all that, right? Because I think Dwight was, was he there yet when, no? I don't think so. I think he him was... and Steve Nash came three or four years later. Okay, all right. So then ig- ignore the the house. But you still would have had but... Paul and uh, so Odom. Odom. Cocaineless Odom. Yeah. And some of the other pieces there that, I mean, still, still won championships, but like yeah, good. that just, they, they legitimately could have gone like 80 and two. Yeah. No, it would have been, yeah. there was no, Oh, don't worry, buddy. You can take a seat today. You're uh, we, we, we've overexerted you a little bit. <laughs> don't have to go score 82 Kobe. It's okay. You don't have to do that tonight. Um, yeah. I mean, also I've been seeing that all over Instagram too. Just like the the big what if caption, and then, I mean, yeah, Co- that's what Kobe needed more more championships with Chris Paul there too. But it's uh, yeah, I mean, you can live that fantasy out in two K. Go make that trade happen, and you yeah. can adjust the rosters. But it's uh, yeah, the good old what if scenario. Those are fun. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll we could have an entire episode on what ifs, but I'd say other than. Uh... What if Michael Jordan had never retired? That's probably one of the biggest what ifs in sports. Yeah, it's okay. He's he's the goat of the NBA. You don't have to, yeah, take three years off of his prime. Um, but man, what's you know, speaking of prime and Chris Paul and aging, but the MLB and Manfred have decided to take out the sticky substance. And you know, my love for the Yankees, I've seen it happen to Garrett Cole, who is looking to have another prime season. And without the sticky substance, he's taking a dramatic step off with his stats and whatever. Pitched an absolute beautiful game against the Astros two days ago, I think. Or yeah, yeah, two days ago, I think. One nothing shutout, complete nine innings. Anyways, a lot of the guys are being infected by the impact, excuse me, by the sticky substance. Do you like What's what's kind of your following on how everything's kind of unfolded after Manfred started placing the the rules and such? So once again, I think it's about a year since I said this last um, Rob Manfred sucks <laughs> this time. Um, yeah, this time last year. Um, like it's so stupid, man. Like batters can use pine tar. Why, why can't pitchers use sticky substances? Like it's it's so dumb. It's 
like they've proven that if there's a change in the spin rate due to sticky substances, it's minimal. Like, I mean, I got tiny ass hands. It, when I played baseball, like I was using pine tar on my wrist. I had pine tar in my glove. Like it's to get a better grip. Um, it It's so dumb and it's so unnecessary. And they're trying to speed up baseball. And now you give a guy 10 chances to challenge the fact that a pitcher has sticky substances on their body. Like how stupid are you? Like, oh yeah, we're going to put a pitch pitch clock on. You have to pitch this fast, but oh no, the oppo- the opposing manager can like make you strip down yeah. to your underwear in the middle of the game, so the umpires can check every piece of clothing on you for something that you know might be sticky. Like, come on, man, get your head out of your ass. Like, let's just play the sport. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's uh, it's tough to watch this because like you, the game will just stop because of the whole check for the sticky sticky substance and well and it are... can be like a momentum stopped mm-hmm. yeah, like, it, yeah it can be i just guys a got some momentum i like, challenge strategy. it throw him off his game like it, it's yeah. it, it, when trying to improve the game can be used as a tactic to get a leg up on somebody that's a problem and yeah i know for sure i mean i i don't know about you but when i was doing a little bit of research into this too as i didn't hear like batters and players complaining about the usage of the sticky substance it was more just like it was accepted right they're just going to use that whatever you know we'll, we'll we'll hit off them we'll do our thing but i didn't hear a lot of complaints if at all any and then manfred comes in bans it and now you have you know pitchers complaining a whole lot some guys are falling off dramatically just we've seen from my experience the yankees pitchers have uh, been pretty impacted by it but i mean in your eyes, do you think they ever bring it back to, to make it legal, or is this just you know going forward, no more spider tech? Well, once Rob Manfred leaves, I think they'll just bring it back. But what <laughs> kills me is yeah, so Joe Girardi has been like the biggest dick with challenging and everything. And he had who's the pitcher? Michael Perea? Yeah. Who was like brutal for having stuff all over his neck? Yeah. Yeah. So you're telling me that like this guy has suddenly just decided that, oh, this is incredibly like this is such an advantage. Meanwhile, like he was completely okay with his pitcher going out with like five pounds of spider tack all over his neck. Like, come on, man. Like, give me a break. Let, the, let's have some consistency here. The uh, the funny thing is, is Girardi coached him when he was in the Yankees, and he's notorious for putting pine tar all over his body, neck, hat. Gloves. Well, man, if you go on YouTube he, and put in like, um, it was so bad. Ejected yeah. comp- compilation, like it's all him. He's on yeah. the cover of every one of them. And yeah, it's like, no. it's bad to the point that you can see like layers of it on his neck. And yeah, no, he, it was like the worst kept secret. His, yeah. uh, his over-reliance on, on, uh, yeah, I think it was pine tar or whatever, right. Some substance to, to get a grip on the ball. But yeah, that, that made me chuckle when I saw that. And I mean, 10 game suspension for that man, like that's a little ridiculous. 
like I understand the fact that if you're a starter, it's only a two game suspension because, you know, you'd only start twice within those 10 games. But I mean, if your reliever gets caught or like your closer gets caught and you can't use them for 10 games, like you're screwed. (laughs) Yeah, big time. No, for sure. So it's. I don't know. I hope they bring it back. It just, you know, I'd love to see pitchers succeed. And in my eyes, it's like, I, I, I compare like pitchers and goalies just because of their, their impact on the play and whatever, anything like that. So I think whenever, you know, pitchers are doing well in my eyes, it's, it's great. And I love that. But um, before we jump to random topic of the week, what do you uh, want to transition to? I didn't really have anything else. Um, I kind of wanted to, I don't know if you watched the ESPYs. No, but I, my entire feed was filled with um, Alexander Mackey just ripping on athletes. and It was <laughs> interesting. I, I wasn't huge on him being a host, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, I just wanted to touch on the fact that, look, we, we have an article about Naomi Osaka on the website and everything that she's been through in terms of putting her mental health first has been incredible and big we're big supporters of her journey and the fact that athletes should not have to partake within the media around tournaments and especially should not be kicked out of these tournaments for not partaking in the media. But I want to know how she was able to not compete in the last two major events. And she won the female athlete of the year over the likes of Simone Biles and who is has creating creating five years. Yeah. Yeah. And Amanda Nunez, who is like the most unstoppable fighter in the UFC as of right now. Yeah. Brianna Stewart as well. Like that was something that just, it didn't really make sense to me. And I kind of just wanted to point that out in case you, you had watched and kind of had anything to touch on there. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I didn't watch that, but I mean, that is a big surprise. And Simone is an absolute animal in her industry. And like I said, just, she's creating new moves out here. And yeah, like, like you said, right. Hasn't lost in five years or whatever it may be, but yeah. How, how can you, you know, miss specific events of such magnitude and still be named the best at what you do in all of the, in all of sports? Uh, I've, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're not the judge, so we can't really figure that we one out. We don't have but... a vote. We should have one at some point, but yeah, I mean, always next year, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cheer for the other ones and and see what happens, but you know, that with the Olympics coming in, in Japan, no, not Japan. Is it Japan? Japan Japan. saying that Tokyo's in Japan. Perfect. Uh, geography was my forte. Um, Japan saying that they will not be allowing international visitors, only Japanese people to spectate at the Olympics, right? Along, along those lines. Um, that made me start thinking about if you could spectate any sporting event in history, which event would you want to go watch live? That's tough, man. <laughs> That's tough. Um, just like off the top of my head, I'd say, I mean, the 28 to three comeback as a Patriots fan. I mean, that's, that's definitely ought to be up there. Yeah. It really doesn't get much better than that. Um, the thriller in Manila. Um, 
or maybe Germany against Argentina in the World Cup final. Um, th- those are probably the three that I I would put up there and that that come to mind right away. Yeah, no, those those are all great options. Um, my my immediate reaction was thinking, you know, 1980, Miracle on Ice, seeing uh, Team USA beat Soviet Union. I think that would have been absolutely amazing to watch live. Um, the other one that immediately came to mind was, uh, you know, 2010, Vancouver, seeing uh, Sidney Crosby score that goal. I think those two would be, you know, up there and pretty historic events to watch live. But and then, you know, just just any of the uh, Mike Tyson, Vander Holyfield fights. I think that would be pretty cool to watch, too. But, yeah, those are those are my three. I'm going to go with Miracle on Ice to say the number one, just because I've seen the movie about 25 times. Um, but, yeah, I mean, oh, random topics are always so much fun. Well, 52 down, right? Hopefully 52 and more to go. Another great episode, matter of opinion. Why you want to? Want to send a little send off here before we finish up? Yeah, you know, uh, hope everybody is having a uh, a great Moo Monday. Hopefully, you know, you're you're waiting for the the drop on this article to listen to it. Um, we appreciate everyone's support. Don't forget to uh, go and check us out, moocrew.org. Biz. Org. Org. We're famous. Org. Um, we're, we're an organization. And uh, you know, hope everybody has a. Uh, a great day. Move. All right. Move, baby.